turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci of Fatucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. The head of one of the nation's largest banks expects to see only a slight recession ahead. Housing starts down slightly in March as foreclosure rates tick upwards and New York City wins the title of priciest city in the U.S. But don't be jealous, fellow Californians. San Francisco ranked third most expensive and our state took five of the top ten most expensive cities overall. Welcome once again to this edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that every single week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus year financial manager and best-selling author, Pat Vitucci, along with our own Don't Invest and Forget man on the street, Charlie Cohen, and I'm Craig Roberts. Well, Pat, the signals coming out of Wall Street, even D.C., continue to be a bit on the mixed side. Some earning reports really healthy. In fact, even as we've heard some of the gloom and doom over the recent financial troubles of banks like First Republic, Signature, and, of course, Silicon Valley, nevertheless, the major banks, B of A, Wells Fargo, reporting really healthy Q1 returns. Overall, while there's some hiccups in the economy and we're starting to see a bit of an uptick when it comes to layoffs, nevertheless, it seems to be far more resilient and and less significantly recessionary than we had initially thought going into the year. Yeah, Craig, there's always a whole complex issue of tracking trends and patterns. And in our discussion each week for over 30 years now, we try to identify some of the underpinnings that our listeners should kind of listen to and track. In our opinion, these are very subtle signals that frequently, not always, frequently dictate where our listeners should be investing their money. So the technical term is sector rotation. We're getting out of one area of the economy, moving to another area of the economy. And the goal for our discussion each week is really to educate and inform 
our listening audience about some of these very subtle trends, have a mindset that clearly suggests there's a pattern of economic cyclicality that needs to be paid attention to and therefore adjusting potentially where your portfolio is concentrated. So, for example, this week we are reporting a 22% increase in foreclosures. Why? Because a lot of people several years ago bought what are called adjustable mortgages. And you'll recall less than a year ago, we had mortgage rates adjustables in the 2% range. Well, when that matures and the time frame is up and now you've got to adjust to current thinking, they're now in the 6 to 7% range. Well, guess what? Your mortgage payment radically changes. And not surprisingly, we're seeing a 22% increase in foreclosures. And so these are very subtle issues that affect the economy. And real estate is certainly something we focus on. Ideally, we all need someplace to live. The cost of living in your town or my town has a direct impact on affordability. And we know inflation generally speaking, has been off the charts. Yes, it's improved. Not only is your mortgage payment going up, but now it's $125 to fill your car with fuel. And the price of food, we all know, is off the charts. So you compound all those things together and suddenly you say, oh my gosh, I can't make it. There's more days in a month and I ran out of money. Certainly in the Bay Area, you pointed out in the opening comments, one of the priciest areas in the country, certainly New York, not surprisingly, is the priciest. Honolulu came in second. San Francisco came in third. And in the top 10, there are five other California cities. Yes, it's a beautiful part of the country, and we pay for that beauty. And there's a sun tax, S-U-N, sun tax, because it's sunny and beautiful most of the time. And so the cost of paying for this with all this bounty and wonderful living gets to be pretty darn pricey. Uh, but I was just thinking, when you were talking about the mortgage, back when people would have had an adjustable mortgage, and then all of a sudden it comes due, and you've got to get out there and look at 6 or 7%, you could very easily be doubling the cost of your mortgage. It's, you know, that's where a, a big problems come in. That's a pretty big jump. Yeah, and then, and then compound the fuel and food, and before you know it, it becomes a really big mountain to climb. Interestingly, we had two leaders in the banking industry recently come out with very different prognostications. Brian Moynihan, B of A president, said he believes we're going to have a relatively mild recession. He thinks we will have a soft landing and just a mild downturn. Jamie Dimon had a very different view. His suggestion is we're coming in with a crash landing. And so we've got to look at these issues and try and ascertain who's right on this. Either way, we know the cost of living has gone up quite a bit, and we've got to adjust our spending patterns, maybe go out to dinner less, et cetera, et cetera. So we've got to look at all these variables. And then we turn to the real estate world, where, frankly, there are a lot of buyers and few sellers. Guess what? 70% of mortgage holders today have a mortgage of 4% or less. Well, you're not going to sell your home with a 3 or 4% mortgage rate and volunteer to pay 6 or 7 unless you have a health issue, transferring to a different city, you change jobs, all those other issues that are kind of out of your control. 
but you're not going to volunteer if things are going just okay. You're not going to volunteer to sell your home with a three or four percent rate and we'll go to six or seven. And so the real estate market is kind of driving a lot of the cycles that we're experiencing. And then you look at crime, Walmart, kind of the stalwart bellwether of the retail world, are closing 20 stores, laying off hundreds of people. Guess what? Because of crime, their theft rate is off the charts, and local governments are unwilling to prosecute these folks. There's a Whole Foods right on market across from the theater there. Just open up within the year, they're closing because they can't afford to cover the crime rate. So we've got some integral patterns of behavior that are trickling down to the work environment and having a direct impact on the economy. Look at Chicago last weekend, rioting and melees of crime, and you're not going to have businesses sticking around. You're not going to have people sticking around. They're going to move to a lesser crime area and moving out because they're sick and tired of being knocked over the head in broad daylight, and there are no consequences for these folks. Pat, I'm curious, from the standpoint of the impact on real estate, we know one of the issues in larger communities like the San Francisco Bay Area, housing access and housing affordability are big issues. We began to see a lot of this urban flight during COVID when people were saying, well, gee, if I get to work from home, I'd like to work from a home in an area that's a lot quieter, a lot less expensive. We saw certainly massive exodus out of cities like San Francisco for a lot of the factors, including what you've been mentioning, the crime rate, the cost of living, the traffic, et cetera, et cetera. If these trends nationally continue in big cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York, where the crime rate is so problematic that even major retailers like Whole Foods say, that's it, we're done, Walmart, we're closing stores, would you anticipate seeing more and more people moving to rural areas, quieter towns, and as a result, a lot of this put pressure on real estate and especially housing starts in these bigger communities? Because let's face it, less occupants, less demand for housing, less demand for housing, less construction. There's no question. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out. People are going to bolt with their feet and they're going to say, I am out of here. Now, the whole issue of Working from home, I think there's been a reversal of that pattern, and Silicon Valley in particular is saying, okay, guys, everybody back to work. I think companies are figuring out the whole issue of connectivity. When you don't connect with your fellow workers, there's no discussion at the water cooler about how to solve a problem, and you don't get that cross-current of enthusiasm, profitability, gets affected. So I think the whole issue of connectivity was missing in this remote work idea. We tried that experiment because we had to because of COVID, but we're getting everybody back to work. Talk a bit about the Bay Area economy for a moment, Pat, if we can, particularly as it relates to retirees, people planning for retirement, cost of living, of course, always a major consideration as we've seen such a significant uptick in inflation over the last 12 to 24 months. I'm curious, as we look at some of the layoffs in the tech sector, I mean, for example, Meta, cut 10,000 employees at the beginning of the year. In February, there was a second round of layoffs with another 11,000 totaling 21,000 fewer jobs. Same thing has happened at Twitter. 
Now, just yesterday, a memo from Meta was leaked that there's going to be an announcement soon of another 5,000 workers being cut from Meta slash Facebook. Is any of this signify a canary in the mine in terms of what this may bode for the health of the economy here in the San Francisco Bay Area? And if so, what are the potential consequences for people living on a fixed income, retirees? There's no question. These very subtle announcements translate into some months down the road to a pattern of issues, whether it's more homes for sale, less people being able to afford to buy those homes. So it kind of snowballs into a mountain of evidence that the whole collection of these very subtle issues turns into a fairly dramatic pattern of issues that full steam ahead, and it's pretty hard to reverse that if our leaders in charge fail to understand and have less arrogance about how wonderful it is to live around here. It becomes apparent to watch the number of people leaving California, and so until somebody fully understands and takes steps to reverse those trends by taking collaborative action, to combat some of these issues, I think that those patterns of behavior will just exacerbate and, and just get worse and worse. And failure to do that results in uh, some irreversibility of people's actions. Pat, you've said so people can go into Walmart, fill up their shopping cart, and wheel it out the door, <laughs> and nobody may prosecute them because it's too much trouble? I don't know the exact number, but it's something like up to $760. And these large corporations are unwilling to prosecute. Companies have told their employees, do not engage in somebody who's stealing. Sadly, this past week, a Home Depot employee stopped somebody from stealing. Sadly, the Home Depot employee was killed. Your first reaction is to stop the theft of a company that pays you well and you're proud to work for that company. This gentleman ignored company policy and reacted as perhaps you or I would also, and it cost him his life. And so see more and more of this. We saw 50 kids walk into a 7-Eleven and raid the whole place and steal whatever they wanted. I think that was in uh, Chicago this past week. So we're seeing, you know, this large-scale taking over towns and until we step up and start to prosecute, have consequences for these folks. It's not going to get better. It's going to go. Pat, I want to pivot to a companion topic related to this, and that is that for many folks that are now anticipating retirement around the corner, they may be considering moving out of a major metropolitan city or an area like San Francisco. Perhaps it's to be closer to family. Perhaps it's because they're trying to reduce their expenditures in retirement, or they feel as if they're being forced out for all the points that we've been discussing, crime and things of that sort. Is there any sort of a a sense of direction in terms of what needs to go into that decision-making process. Couple decides, that's it, we're retiring, we're fed up, we're selling the expensive two-by-fours, we're moving to XYZ City. Some of the considerations that they need to keep in mind, because we know oftentimes retirees will go someplace on vacation, think, wow, isn't this great? Go home, sell the house, move, and then six months later, determined that they've made a terrible mistake, and now they decide they want to move back home and can't 
because of a variety of factors, including the cost of housing in that area. What are some of the, the, the points, the decision points that people need to be looking at as they consider relocating in retirement? You know, we get that whole scenario you just described a lot more frequently than you would think. I think the first step is take an honest, and I mean an honest inventory of your assets and your liabilities. And we do that every day of the week in any one of our Bay Area offices. We do it via Zoom calls or even a telephone call. After an hour of taking an honest inventory of assets and liabilities, and most importantly, cash flow. Cash flow is important. It doesn't matter if you own a $5 million house, what's your cash flow look like to support that $5 million house and your lifestyle? So you look at assets, liabilities, and cash flow, and it's a real honest evaluation. After an hour, you get a real good sense of can you retire, first of all, and can you stay in that expensive home, or do you have to move to a lesser cost area? And then the question is, do you buy or do you rent for a year? As you mentioned, to get a feel for the community. Is it someplace uncomfortable living? We all want to go on vacation and move to Hawaii. And then you get there and you get rock fever and you say, my gosh, I have to get off this island. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I think the average people who move to Hawaii last one year. And something like 75% move back to where they came from. So you're right. You've got to get a sense because it's a great spot on vacation, you're in vacation mode, and your whole mindset is different as opposed to living there. Really take an honest evaluation of not only the numbers, but then your lifestyle issue. You know, is this place you want to live? You're going to miss your children, you're going to miss your friends. So all those things tie into a decision. So these are very complex issues. We've been doing this for over 30 years. If you'd like to sit with any one of our financial advisory team members, We'd be glad to review, again, not only the numbers, but the potential choice of the place you want to move to. Would your cash flow support that? We'd enjoy meeting with you. And so to schedule your appointment for that complimentary financial health and retirement plan review in any of the Bay Area offices of Proxy, you can certainly call 888-PLAN-WISE, that's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E, or easier still, schedule your appointment online by going to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. This appointment, again, without cost or obligation, will give you a better understanding as to where you are today, how your progress is toward retirement, and whether or not, in fact, your strategy is on track. To schedule that appointment, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. Patrucci says, don't invest and forget, invest and forget, invest and forget. Our special guest today is George Kinder. George is the author of The Seven Stages of Money Maturity, Understanding the Spirit and Value of Money in Your Life. George, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Thanks, Pat. What was the motivation to write The Seven Stages of Money Maturity? One of the things we discovered in financial planning, I started a think tank about oh, five years before I wrote the book. And the think tank coming out of the Financial Planning Association, or then the ICFP and the IAFP, the think tank was investigating the human side of money. And we gathered many of the finest financial planners in America together. And what we were perplexed by, 
we felt that the clients were coming in and, and talking about all this personal stuff. And we'd had plenty of training in asset allocation and taxes, retirement, and uh, you know pensions and insurance. But we'd not had any training at all in human side of money. And so our clients would come in with emotional stories, with uh, profound stories, profound aspirations. And we wouldn't necessarily know, you know, we'd use common sense or our human sense of things, but we really didn't know in a way what it was that we were supposed to be doing. And out of that think tank, I actually created a, a number of books, and this was the first of them, to really give structure to how we understand the human side of money and, and what it is that money is meant to be about. And fundamentally, I think what the fundamental message is, is money is meant to free us, each of us, into lives of greater meaning. George, is it getting more difficult for the consumer to not overreact? I mean, we've seen just in the past year or two, the volatility of the economy is none like we've ever seen before in terms of the ups and downs of the market. And so the consequent behavior of consumers and the reacting to that becomes even more of an issue. So I think your message becomes more and more salient. I hearken back to the times in the 1970s where you had a 50% drop in the value of the market and we had 14% inflation and people were talking about the absolute death of the stock market. They thought that stocks and equities were gone forever. In a way, what we've seen is a revisiting of some of those areas. I don't think it's quite as bad as it was then. But what exacerbated it is that so many more of us have saved money than them, and so many more of us have invested money than used to have. And so there's a lot more people involved, and I think that's really the, the difference. And the, I think the important thing to, if possible, have an advisor who keeps a pretty steady hand in your relationship to the market, because the thing that almost everyone's prone to, even an advisor can be prone to, is to buy high and sell low. Uh, you sell when you're scared and you buy when you're excited. And when you're excited is when everybody else has been excited and it's already past the peak. And you sell when you're scared and it's down at its low. So your basic premise assumes that clients have the basic retirement planning, insurance planning, estate planning, college planning for their children or grandchildren, asset allocation. All those things are pretty much the framework is in place. Your book really addresses kind of the life planning, more this retirement coach idea. There's a new cottage industry, as I've seen, I'm sure you've reflected as well, of this boomer movement generating uh, retirement coaches. This is a whole new industry, isn't it? Yeah, we actually call our movement uh, life planning, and it's very similar to the retirement coaching kind of process. And the life planning movement has produced more courses, I think, than anything else over the last 10 years because people have begun to recognize that, in fact, the human side of money is the most important side. We get trained in all the skills of asset allocation of investments and, ret and retirement and all that but we don't have the training for money. George, our parents never had a life coach, a life planner. Why, why, do, why do we need a life planner all of a sudden? Well, let me ask you this, Pat, just for yourself or for anyone you know, an ideal life for yourself. And to imagine, I don't mean that you're as rich as, as Bill Gates necessarily, but you have really all that you need to live an ideal day, an ideal week, an ideal year. Are you in that situation yourself? Just take yourself for the moment. Do you live an absolute ideal day, an ideal week, an ideal year? And it's a rhetorical question, but the answer for most of us is no, we don't. We don't live the day that we really want to live. We don't live the week that we ideally would live, and we don't live the year that we ideally would live. If we don't, the answer is there's no reason not to. What we really need 
is a financial life planner, someone who's really going to do a life plan for us and figure out how to make that happen. So the financial piece is really kind of the framework, the underpinnings, and everything else. It's not just the love of money. It's what is your asset base? What kind of life does it create for you? What kind of quality of life, really, what you're really getting to the heart of, aren't you? Yeah, now you're even mentioning the asset base, and at this point I wouldn't even mention it. I would really go, what is it that you really want? Another question that we ask is that if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, gosh, I'm sorry, you have a terrible disease and there's nothing I can do about it. And in fact, it's so far progressed that you only have 24 hours left to live. If you suddenly were facing your death like that and you were to reflect for a period of time on what you'd missed, who you'd not gotten to be, what you'd not gotten to do, it's the answers to those questions that we are meant to live into, that we're meant to complete and be vital and vigorous in regard to, that's where the financial plan uh, is meant to reside, and the answer to those questions. And more often than not, those questions, they really have nothing to do, at least in the initial stages, with asset allocation or anything we think of about money. They have much more to do with time management. For instance, the most common response has to do with family, whether it's healing a relationship with family or spending more time with family, healing one's relationship with one's spouse. That's the most common response. The second most common response has to do with the inside of our lives. And it could be anything from something uh, secular and and values-driven to something explicitly spiritual, but it has to do with the inside of our lives. And the third most common response has to do with doing something creative. And then four and five have to do with community and environment. Well, these are not things that we normally talk about, that we normally really address in in a deep way, in a satisfactory way, But in fact, let's say that it is something creative and you think, well, gosh, what do I have to do? How can I help this person? They want to write the great American novel and they're stuck in an insurance office uh, working 60-hour weeks. Well, that's a financial planning question, ultimately. Uh, We haven't thought of it as that. It's likewise with a family. If they're struggling with, with their family, they don't have the great relationship with their kids that they'd love to have. Ultimately, that's a time question, because if they take that time and really spend it with the kids, then they can do it. And time, as Ben Franklin said, is money. So it ends up being, ultimately, then it comes back to budgets and asset allocation and retirement and all the other questions Mm. come in. But first, we have to find out what's profoundly important for the person to accomplish. That's what money is meant to do. We marry meaning and money. That's what the life planning movement does. My special guest is George Kinder. George is the author of The Seven Stages of Money Maturity. We've been talking with George about the behavioral aspects of how we manage money. And once we've established portfolio and asset allocation mix and all those other rudimentary fundamental things, what do we do now? What kind of quality of life does that generate? Where does family and our spiritual life interface with money? George, your seven stages of money maturity, I've got to ask you, what's the most important stage? They're all important, uh, ultimately. They, they're structured. The, the seven stages are structured as a process of growth. We start off with a lot of innocent, naive notions around money, and that, that's the first stage, innocence. And then the second stage is pain, where we experience the, the pain of, of learning the naivete perhaps, of those messages. And the pain is really are, are the difficult, dark feelings that we have around money. Those two, pain and innocence, comprise childhood. And then adulthood is made up of three stages, knowledge, understanding, and vigor. And knowledge is what you would do as financial advisor, structures of, of money and the laws around money. And understanding is the second stage of adulthood. It has to do with the heart, with coming to a place of ease in relation to the difficult feelings that might come up around money. And then the third phase of adulthood is vigor, an extremely important phase because a lot of us feel 
kind of heavy and lethargic and depressed. I mean, who likes to do their tax return, for instance? Very few people, I don't think even tax return preparers like to do their own tax return. So there's the vitality and vigor that's important. And then the final two stages, they're called vision and aloha, and they represent our reaching out and doing good in the communities around us. That's vision and aloha is the passing of a blessing from one person to another regardless of economic difference. But the fact is that all of us, even even you and I, have all of the seven stages. Even if we're masters of knowledge, we still fall back into innocent notions, thinking maybe that our kids sh- should have known how to handle money and they, they disappoint us in some way. So we have all of those seven stages operating at once. George, I have a question. Did, yeah. Does our industry kind of miss the heart you think we're going all too fast? I mean, in our practice, we really try and take time in our interview process to understand the wishes and desires of our clients outside of, you know, they want percent on their money. Yep. We really talk to them about their, more their life dreams. Does industry as a whole kind of miss that? Yeah, they do. There's been a tremendous movement in that direction in the last decade, which is very good. But as a whole, I think they really miss it. But I think the industry is so caught up in, well, in the old days, it was caught up in sales. And so the motivation there was just to make money. And then I think as as the profession has grown really more genuinely professional, it has moved into the fast lane around this way of structuring uh, your assets or that way or this kind of pension or that kind of pension. And it's very much knowledge-based. But again, without really knowing your client, if you're putting them in products that are not related to what their dreams really are, you're doing them a disservice to really listen and really know what, what would be best for them. I'm going to speak to a group of uh, estate planners. They just leap into the estate plan. If you don't know what the life plan of the person is and that they're really living it, you could be tying up a person's money in, in assets and trusts that will need to be violated, that won't work, that will fall apart, will be abandoned. There may be really quite inappropriate asset allocations that occur as a consequence. Well, it's true for a general financial plan as well. If we haven't really listened to who the client is, then there are likely to be, almost certain to be, surprises that will cause whole asset allocation plan or the pension systems that we've set up to be inappropriate for the client. George, in our practice, we spend a lot of time with our clients. We document their wishes, their needs. Where We understand more of their personality. We get to know their families, their children, perhaps their parents. Is there a growing difference in the old traditional financial advisor? I think so. And at the same time, there really is a movement. You know, what you guys are doing with the families just sounds wonderful. I think there is a growing recognition, even though it's still not structured so well that the consumer can be certain that they will be treated in a way that will really enrich their lives and not cause problems. Is this in your travels around the country? Is there receptivity there? Do they get it? Or what's your, how's your message being received, George? It's wonderful. The first speech I gave, I think 2,000 people to more than 1,000 people. It's rumored 10% of the people walked out, and it's possible that that happened. And that was nearly 10 years ago. Now I have advisors coming up to me and saying, hey, I was there in Dallas. I was one of those people who walked out. I want you to know now that I'm one of your biggest fans. And that's happened to me many times. So right now, I think the receptivity is really very, very strong, particularly amongst people who really have gone further, perhaps, with the the professional work. It's beginning to be something that is interested in, are all about people and about listening. And I think they're recognizing that it's something very important. George, are you suggesting the boomer kids retiring today, this is not your father's uh, retirement? This is very different from mom and dad's retirement? Is it just an attitude or is it the love? 
level of affluence that's made it different. What do you think is the core difference between our parents moving into this stage versus this age group moving into this stage? You know, when our parents were around, or the parents of the boomers, it was IBM, white shirt, black suit, or labor union. The world was really very simple, and in both cases, whether it's the big corporation was taking care of you with their pension. Of course, now we've got so many more choices and the consumer is so much better educated, often in a dangerous way, but there are many more options out there. At the same time, we went through you know, the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and we've had people live in very different ways. They don't work in one place, in one job for all of their life. They're often changing jobs multiple times. So there's this notion that we are living not for the big company and not for that day where we're going to retire for the big company, but that we're constantly living and exploring who we are and who we want to be, trying to find a a way that's richer for ourselves, more meaningful. I think the other difference is we're seeing this revolution of where we're going to get our resources from. I mean, our parents were blessed with pensions and Social Security, and we know Social Security system is lesser and lesser part of all of our incomes. The IBM of the world are walking away from wonderful pension plans that our parents enjoyed. It really is up to you and I, and that's where I think the money management is a big challenge. Surrounded by that is, okay, what do we do with this money and how do we prepare ourselves emotionally and what kind of contribution do we want to continue to make or not make? So I think there's a whole different perspective on retirements. George, I want to congratulate you. Your book really hits it right on the head. It's called The Seven Stages of Money Maturity, Understanding the Spirit and value of money in your life. If there's any questions for George or myself, call our toll-free number 1-888-PLAN-WISE. That's one 888 George, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Pat. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program, or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Atucci & Associates near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated.